0: Thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and today I'm joined by a very suntanned, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back.
1: G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Don't know about the suntan. It was a little bit cloudy for holidays, but um, I must admit, uh, yesterday, yesterday, Tuesday, we flew back in. So Tuesday of this week, depending on what day you're listening to it, um, flew back to Melbourne and it was the first time that I wore long trousers and, um, and a top other than a T-shirt, for uh, two weeks. Well, we did catch
0: up while you were up on the Sunshine Coast, and we did make the point that you are the only bloke that was getting about in a T-shirt. Um, it, it was a little bit cold. You oh, that... I'll
1: tell you what, walk, walking down the Esplanade at Moolabar, and there's always specials on winter gear, like beanies and stuff. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? It's like all the palms at the moment who are boiling and melting over there in 23 to 28 degree heat. <laughs> like, it's, all, it's all relative, listeners. It's all relative. The best beer really is the one in your hand.
0: It is, but uh, but you, you did get to sample some of our fine uh, establishments up there. We recorded from Black Bunny Kitchen and spoke to Josh Collins up there, but uh, we, we also got along to Taps, which is an interesting little venue where you get to pour your own beer, um, which you seem to frequent, judging by your Facebook feed.
1: Yeah, got there a couple of times, and also to Beach Bar and Grill, which is uh, upstairs just opposite the Surf Club um, in Mooloola Bar, which is uh, well worth a beautiful vista, um, big open uh, front kind of thing, really good, interesting uh, and varied food offering. And eight taps, six of which were, uh, look, Four Pines, Pale Ale, uh, Stonewood Pacific Ale, they had Newstead, Out and About Pale Ale, uh, White Rabbit, and then they had a couple of, you know, um, they have made the concession and, you know, spoke to the guys there and they said, look, we've we've kept on the... uh, Forex Gold, and there might have been a uh, an import in there as well that I, I, I just can't remember at the moment. Um, but then you've got Kosciuszko Pale Ale and and a few bits, of, bits and pieces of others. But they're um, a, a, a terrific venue, and it just shows the three venues are all doing slightly different things. But, you know, a couple of years ago, there, there wasn't anyone doing that.
0: But, but, but Mooloola Bar is where um, my family um, have traditional holidays, and uh, at Seaview up there, we walked past it on our way to, to check out Taps, and uh, there, there was nowhere, it was infuriating, you know, There were, it was all Corona and those sorts of things, it was a place that was very slow to discover craft beer, but in the last 12 or 18 months, it has, you know, Black Bunny Kitchen has an amazing beer list for any, any venue anywhere in Australia, it's got a great uh, selection, Taps at Malula Bar has a very approachable selection but a lot of good um, independent craft beer and they've got that added gimmick of being able to sit at the the bar and pour your own beer using your little dongle. Um, But even the the beach bar and grill which you mentioned for a long time was just, you'd sort of think that it was a perfect place to have a bit of fun with craft beer and just none at all. So for for a venue like that, it just shows that the, the craft beer footprint is starting to expand a little bit which is very, very exciting.
1: Yeah, and look, we had lunch too. I'll give a, a shout out to a little place called Entice, which is, just you know, on the, on the Esplanade there. Uh, but I got, uh, white, um, Feral White and they had another couple of beers, uh, on their list as well, uh, as well as the, a couple of usual suspects. And then a little bit further up, uh, and I can't think of the name of the place now, but they had, uh, Rogers as a, you know, as a, a lighter style beer, um, or alcohol beer. And they also had, um Vale, ale and ipa so there's a couple of places there that are just and you know crowd brings a crowd it's just i think it's that kind of thing that the more that we see or they see different beer and what we call good beer uh out and and around uh the more the easier it is for them to then take it on themselves
0: absolutely and you know speaking of beers expanding footprint that brings us to one of the biggest um, brewers in the country, CUB, and we broke the exclusive this week, uh, looking at CUB's. Uh, well, you, know, you describe it as their new strategy for for craft beer. Um, that's very much, uh, you know, once you've had yak, you'll never go back. Seems to be the strategy, Prof. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, the, the story will have hit um, the, uh, the the website, but. Uh, To summarise it, listeners, we've seen uh, CUB, which it it would be fair to say that they've struggled a little bit in the craft beer space. And uh, actually that that analysis that I've given uh, multiple times was backed up by an Ibis World um, industry uh, assessment um, that pretty much talked about them struggling um, compared to Lyme. And uh, they've counted by... uh, Fat Yak is the headline brand. Um, Everything you're going to see from... uh, CUB is going to be about Fat Yak. They've launched the new Lazy Yak, which is an Australian parallel of around about 4.2%, um, very much targeting the uh, festival market, and it's going to be all Yak. The Matilda Bay is going to be a line on the back of the, the label, so Yak is going to be pretty much its own franchise um, in the same way as Pure Blonde. Blonde is a franchise. It has Carlton United on the back. Fat Yak is going to be its own range of beers. They're going to uh, bring out various line extensions under the Fat Yak brand, and they'll pay a lip service to um, Matilda Bay at the back. Matilda Bay's traditional uh, or you know older craft beers are being called their classic range. Next year we'll see another um, what they call a franchise being developed, um, but Matilda Bay is – they may not describe it this way, but this is certainly how it sounds – being sidelined or you know it, it's going to be there um it's too big to uh kill off but too small to to really focus about um cascade is they feel like i put too much on its shoulders it's going to go back to being a uh, you know a regional possibly premium brand with the cascade light um being the, the, the focus and uh, then you're going to have the mainstream brand so <sighs> prof um, you know, any thoughts on on that as a strategy?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you said they've struggled. I would use the word floundered um, in terms of what they've done in the craft space. Uh, and you're right, it's it's too big to kill off, but it's too small to to care about too much. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I watch this space with interest. I shall.
0: The, the thing that i'm hearing um you know when i spoke to tim avati who's the new uh, sort of head of craft and premium you know he sort of said oh look you know matilda bay just hasn't got traction and i've got the number of times we've spoken to you know way back to our good friend um uh vincent ruey when we talked about it you know they said oh mountain uh, fat yak's been sort of ignored and uh you know it's going to get some love it's going to get you just get the feeling that they've never given it the chance to to get any traction um it it's a brand that i love and it's also a whole lot of beers that i very much love and i think that are you know some of the best craft beers you know alpha white uh, sorry alpha um the uh, redback Bolter. Uh, dog Bolter, redback. um and they see it as the pointy beer geek into the market they've identified fat yak as being a brand that you know, is, you know flavor wise and you know branding wise has a hit the, um, the, the the sweet spot of the market, and they're going to put all of their emphasis in there. Um, you know, I look, I have had a lot of conversations with CUB over the last 18 months. Um, you know, we, we, we've rebuilt some bridges that suffered uh, over the, um, you know, the, the, the fraught relationship we had with people like Vincent Rui over the um, uh, Crown Lager and then the Byron Bay... Um, pale sagas. Um, we have gone a long way to sort of establish a relationship that we can sort of uh, talk frank, a lot more frankly than we could. And, uh, you know, in, in listening to them, to the way they're thinking and the consumer insights that they are, are developing, you know, I, I, there is so much um, that I sort of think, well, yeah, actually you're spot on and, you know, that's a really good insight and that's a really good insight, um, which leads them to sort of put all of their money into fat yak um, and pretty much say, well, look, Craft beer is always going to you – know, there is a point here in the craft beer market that is always going to be far too small for us to care about. Here, Here is where we want to put our focus um, and, you know, cream or, you know, take a big chunk of this market with this very successful brand. Um, and, and and I get that. And then we'll sort of put, you know, we, we recently saw um, their, their head of marketing come out and uh, say that, you know, uh, oh, one of their sort of light or, you know, um, mainstream market is going to be the, the biggest brand and they, they are very much a brand focused company and I get that and I think it's very smart and it's very interesting to see where they've drawn the lines around that I still think that the thing that they miss is that when you go brand first you you're not nurturing the garden, you're not tending the garden, you're just reaping you know, you're, you're harvesting, you're not sowing and craft beer is still a very early emerging market they haven't invested in um, they, they haven't invested seriously in consumer education, in growing the market, um, in, in, in sort of bringing people to the market. They're looking at the market and seeing which of their brands is finding a, you know, a, a good – more than a niche but a good portion of that market and wanting to harvest that. I compare that with Little Creatures that – you know, sure, they've acquired a brand through um, – uh, oh, sorry, Lion have acquired a brand through Little Creatures. But they've also founded the James Squire um, brand, which is the biggest craft beer brand in, in the country and has really gone a long way about education, you know, developing the concept of beer and food, you know, introducing people to styles. And they, they've really done a lot of introduction and nurturing and tending that they're reaping. Whereas CUB seems to want to have this, well, there is this market, we're going to go for a share of that market. We're not going to invest in the pointy end of the market. That's the way I read it. And to me, that... I, I think is dangerous for a couple of reasons, but mate, um, I've done. Sorry, I've done a lot of talking there. I don't think I was. I don't think I was up on the soapbox. Was I, Prof? You're generally the arbiter of these no, things. No, um, no, no, it was no. just, yeah. But look, anyone who says, look, I don't care about the uh, the big end of the market. Um, you know, it's it's not for me. Fat yak blah. I, I think you're missing the point. Um, you know, that's where a sizable portion of the growth in craft is going to go. Um, it creates a niche that a lot of the small independent brewers are going to be able to leverage into um, and, and and steal away from. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, it, it is a very important of the beer market that you just can't ignore because it doesn't satisfy your personal tastes. Um, and as we said, Prof, you know, they really know how to make good beer. And, uh, you know, Matilda Bay is a brand that, it was good to hear that they weren't killing off any of those. We, we might see some losses, he said. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm get, gathering that with, uh, lazy yak, um, we will see the death of itchy green pants at some stage. Um, we might also see, um, minimum chips die off, but it sounds like fat yak, uh, sorry. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like, um, alpha, dog bolter and redback, um, and bees knees, the, the four range is safe but just not going to have too much love and attention.
1: It was good while it lasted. Hey, can I point out too, just while we're on the topic of um, SAB Miller and and CUB, uh, news this week that they are importing Peroni in the 25 centilitre or um, uh, 250 mil bottle.
0: Yeah, look, I I was going to bring it around to that, so I'm glad you did. Um, Now, just to call up... Because I I
1: love this. I I think this is great. And can can I just point out why... And I don't know whether it's a particularly Queensland or New South Wales thing or whether I just don't get to as many pubs in Melbourne as, as perhaps I, I, I should because I'm often working or whatever rather than just fronting the bar and asking for a beer. But I've noticed the last um, however long, can I have a, oh, you've got that on tap, can I grab one of those? And the automatic will be a pint or a schooner or like a, a big. And you've got to say, oh, hang on, sorry, mate, have you got something smaller than that? Now, in Europe, I found I was really able to enjoy... Sensible quantities, uh, portion control, if you like, in terms of beer. Uh, I didn't mind having 250ml beers in, a, in in little cafes and bistros and restaurants. I probably still had the same amount, the same quantity total, uh, as I would in a normal going out for dinner kind of experience. But I just found, I don't know, I, just, I, I, I like the smaller, I think the option of having a smaller is, is not a bad thing.
0: But, look, I am 100% behind you on this, and I will jump up on the side box because, you know, one of our – I don't know if he's a listener. If he is, I hope he doesn't mind me uh, mentioning it, but uh, I'm certainly a reader who goes by the Facebook profile, Dan Bruce. Um, Jumped on you know, with uh, what a lot of shit. People who drink beer will all. Sorry, jumped onto Facebook and left the comment. Uh, People who drink beer will always drink beer because that's what they like, not because it's pretty and fashionable and oh so cutesy. That's what grinds my gear. So he's got a fairly strong opinion about it. And I think, you know. He's dead wrong for one thing because, you know, I think Crown Lager shows that, you know, it's how it looks and it's, it's those sorts of things are very important um, because it was as much the brand promise through the bottle and the gold foil that made that. But it, I, I think he's also a little bit self-deluded in, um, in in what influences his own choice of drinking because, you know, when you've got you know, dozens and dozens of great pale ales on the market, how do you make that choice? Um, so I think there is a, you know, people who want to just poo-poo it because of that are wrong. Um, I also think that people who want to sort of say, you know, oh, you know, there have been a lot of comments on Twitter and Facebook about, you know, how it's you know, sort of insulting to women. I actually think that this is one that. It's not at all. They brought out a beautiful, elegant bottle. It, it certainly, I thought it was elegant. My partner, since she saw it, that was the first thing that she went for um, in, in the beer fridge and commented on how lovely the bottle was. Um, and she's anything but, you know, like a, a, a ditzy, you know, hmm. because it's pink or white um, sort of character. Um, so it's definitely got appeal. And, I, I, you know, I, I think if you're going to take the view that as soon as you start talking about something being elegant for women, as opposed to patronising to women, um, which is what upset a few people in the comments on on, on our website, Um, you're missing the point. Just because you're talking about women doesn't mean that you're pandering to them or patronising them, and I think the Peroni bottle is a great example of that. But to to, to your other point about beer size, um, again, quite apart from the elegance of the bottle and the marketing and all of those sorts of things, beer size is, is a huge thing as you know you know in, in my consultancy and in a lot of the t- um, the things I say ad nauseum um, when I present is trying to talk about getting people to drink smaller serves of more bit more beer so rather than when you walk into a pub and get the really heavy ugly you know what what I regard as ugly and you know unsophisticated half liter of yeah, pint. yeah. I, I, I'm trying to get venues to get the 215ml wine glasses, and if I order a bottle of beer, particularly the more flavoursome ones uh, that have got a little bit more alcohol, rather than serve it in the traditional you know uh, beer glass that will take the 330ml bottle plus some headspace, serve it in a um, glass like a wine tasting glass that's too small for the bottle, because that just encourages sharing in the same way that a central platter and tasting plates let you um, you know serve to, to the plate serve the bottle yep. as if it's a, you know, automatically for shared, even if it's a small bottle. And uh, look, I, I think smaller amounts that allow you drink, you know, it's a very elegant... So I, look, I, I'm all for this. And if I can make a fourth point that's not completely uh, annoying the readers with uh, just my voice on a monotone. Um, the other thing I love about it is uh, if you are at all curious about the whole imported versus brewed under license debate, Go grab yourself a two hundred and fifty ml bottle and a bottle of locally brewed stuff, and get somebody to give you a blind tasting, um, and you know, see what you think, see how uh, you know. East imported taste. Yeah, un- imported under licence. Whether you can taste the difference when it, but it's got to be blind tasted. If you know what's in front of you, uh, it, it's not a true test. So, uh, huh, mate, I'll draw some breath. That was a bit of a soapbox and just That's a little good. bit of a yeah, a little bit preachy. But uh, <laughs> as I said last week in Should weekend, we give some you know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely speaking of uh, craft beer growing its footprint one of the real pioneers a uh, pioneer might be overstating it but one of the sort of elder statesmen of australian craft beer um you and i have just caught up with uh, ben krause from bridge road brewing um you know he's a uh one of the the, the truly you know one of my favorite brewers in, in the country prof
1: very much so. and it's bridge road brewers what, what, what did i say bridge road brewing as if you know uh, brewing company Oh, yes.
0: We we, we, we like like to
1: get the the little things right.
0: Oh, mate, I make the mistake of always calling him Beechworth Brewery for some, because he's so strongly (laughs) Beechworth. That's the first thing that springs to my mind. But we we, we caught up with Ben uh, just a little while ago, and uh, my first question to him was, in 10 years of brewing, um, what does he he think has been the biggest change? Uh, I think the
2: the biggest change has been growth in the industry. So um, just seeing growth from from all angles, uh, coming from the number of breweries, uh, the number of people drinking craft beer and the number of venues willing to to put craft beer in their venues it, it's just something that is constantly changing uh, for the good so it's increasing um, sure we've seen a number of different venue ideas and and breweries um, who, who are making different beers but I mean that that's just a an evolutionary change I think from the industry that we've probably seen uh, overseas maybe in the states and other places so um, yeah, for me, what I notice to be
0: the biggest change is just, just the growth, overall growth. It must be exciting after all this time to really see that growth coming through, though. Yeah, but it's been pretty constant. Um, so
2: so for, we've seen growth from our first year, um, and you know we've seen growth on all fronts. So there's, there's trends where the number of breweries has increased um, perhaps quicker than, than the rate of the number of venues, so a bit of a squeeze. Um, on the places he's selling to, and some competition, um, but then quickly uh, we see a number of venues increase, uh, and then and then we see more demand for our product. So it was something that happened probably from the first year that we opened. We we enjoyed growth um, both of our own business and and the industry as a whole, and it's just continuing down that path.
0: Well, perhaps we can go back to the the start of uh, Bridge Road Brewers. Now, we we have spoken a lot over the last 10 years, and my understanding of the origins of the brewery, uh, a young winemaker, trained one winemaker called Ben Krause, went overseas, did a couple of uh, vintages in Europe, came back with aspirations to open his own winery in in Australia. Land prices were, were up at that stage, making it cost prohibitive. And uh, so you, you took a bit of a, a about turn or a bit of a 180 and uh, started a brewery in your dad's shed. Is that a fair summary of uh, of, of what happened?
2: Yeah, pretty much, um, and and better than than I could surmise in such a short time. But yeah, that, that sort of covers <laughs> what I've done.
0: I, I'm, I'm sure that's uh, what what you've given me in a rush uh, in in the past. I'm sure that came from you at some stage. But maybe tell us about what led you to wine in the first place. To wine, um, yeah, so, to wine, to. Uh Dumbled my way through high school, um,
2: uh, just to get through. Um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was I was always into design, um, so most of my subjects at school were artsy ones. Um, industrial Industrial design was a field I wanted to get into. Probably should have tried harder at high school if I wanted to to be accepted. Um, But I worked uh, locally at Sorenberg Vineyard and Winery and and really enjoyed the experience of growing things, uh, working outside. He had a really uh, open workplace in that I was able to... I was probably the main employee there. I was able to do a lot of different things, including winemaking, working in the vineyard, um, and work on machinery. Um, We used to invent and build different pieces of material rather than buy them. Um, So a really interesting place to work. And and through him... um, I gained some contacts in in Germany, um, I guess down the track, but through him I was interested in wine and and enrolled in university to study viticulture and and some winemaking. Um, So sort of got through a three-and-a-half-year university degree um, working at at that winery in the the time in between. Um, So that was sort of my summer holidays were spent working um, and any breaks I had doing vintage there, um and that led to me him putting me in contact with relatives from him in the Mosel Valley in Germany um and sent me on my way to Europe pretty much i think a week after i graduated from university i was on a plane and um backpacking and then running out of money to, and then to go work at, at a planned organized vintage in Germany
0: did you find wine fulfilling or you know because it, it was a fairly quick uh, change into beer when you got back
2: yeah well it wasn't so quick so it was a, across probably three to four years before I got a, um, started the brewery um, or five years in total since I finished university so um, obviously going to Europe I was a beer drinker I went to a, an agricultural university and um, I knew how to drink I, I could not last an hour My, myself now could not last an hour with a 20 year old me at the moment um, I would, I'd be under the table quite quickly so I'd drunk a, a load of beer at, at uh, university I was obviously uh, a little bit knowledgeable about wine, so I had an appreciation for good wine, um, but it didn't have an appreciation for great beer until I went to Europe and, and travelled and continued drinking beer. Obviously, backpacking, you're going to find places to drink, um, and my eyes were open to, to a whole range of different beer styles and flavours. Um, that probably I didn't realise at first how great it was until I came home. So I think I travelled to Europe uh, maybe three or four times on separate occasions, um, before opening the brewery and I, every time I came home I was just more and more disappointed with, um, with the beer that I used to enjoy in university. I thought it had changed but then realised, no, it's always been like this. Um, I just didn't realise that you know we're Aussies and we think we know how to do stuff and um, beer wasn't one of them. Um, there was just so, so much variety and, and higher levels of quality and, and different experiences in beer in Europe compared to Australia, so that was really what what got me thinking, hey, we should have more of this back home.
1: Ben, I think you're uh, very nicely dancing around the main issue, and that is that beer people are just so much nicer.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a bit of that too, I must admit. Um, I think probably the straw that, that didn't break the camel's back that got me over the line. I went and did some, uh, some uh, a vintage in Western Australia on one of my trips home, um, which was a great experience in the Margaret River area. Um, but there was a lot of clamouring for, I was just there for, for a vintage and a good time and um, try, desperately trying to learn to surf or get eaten by a shark while, whilst trying. Um, so I used to go surfing every morning before work, other people watching it probably didn't think that's what I was doing but that's what I was trying to do. Um, and so, so you know, it was a new experience, so I travelled with, with Maria to, to WA, my
0: partner had met in Austria um, I was going to say, not not only did you bring back a love of beer, you brought a a pro a, a line to a, to be your business partner. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, in the industry at that time, it was quite competitive. Lots of graduates out of university, um,
2: sort of wanting to be number one. So it wasn't, I don't know, it was a bit, it was just a bit of maybe there's a touch of snobbery and a bit of clamouring for for hierarchy just generally throughout the industry. Um, and the beer industry just seems so so much more open. I remember. When I was first thinking about doing it, I got in contact with Paul Holgate. I think it was, would have been 24 maybe, if I was lucky. Um, he opened the doors to his brewery, let me come down to Wood End, which he had brewery in his garage at the time, um, and showed me and told me everything. He's really open and friendly, and um, that's the general feel I got from the entire industry. So why not make the change over to to a fun industry? And and luckily the the industry has pretty much withheld that that fun um, openness, I guess.
1: Ben, touched before on uh, and the, the changes in the 10 years since Bridge Road began. One of the things that I can imagine would be kind of a little bit of a, a bittersweet double-edged sword kind of thing is that early doors, it must have been really hard to get your beer uh, out of anywhere, to sell anywhere other than from the brewery. It's obviously now a lot easier, but coming with that is that there's a lot more competition for your beer. Is there any sort of sense that, I guess... As an elder statesman of the craft beer scene, that that you, um, I guess, not not get preferential treatment, but are you do you find that it's it's easier having that 10 years behind you to get your beer into into venues?
2: Um, oh, it's hard to say because I don't really know how hard it is for others. But but I would say, yeah, there's obviously some benefit in in being around in the industry for a longer period of time than than some of the guys starting up now. Um, but on the other side to that, the craft beer industry as you know is, is a lot to do with um, what's new and exciting so um, you know although it might be to our advantage to be well known and have 10 years of history and people have confidence perhaps in our brand and recognise it and it's, it's an easy switch perhaps if we go to a new market they, they're saying hey we, we know about you and we'd love to have your beer um, so as much as we get that there might be some, some young guys down the road who, who are doing some really cool interesting stuff. And we go to a venue and they say no actually um, we're, we're more interested in these guys are doing something new and exciting and, and you've, you know you've been around for ten years so you're, you're old hat um, so yeah there's, there's both sides of it um, generally we, we try to try to keep our, our foot in the water I guess uh, in terms of making new and innovative things both because it's fun and work would be boring if we have to do the same thing every day um, and because you know it's it's it works in terms of marketing our products as well being exciting and and doing new things is, is what the industry sort of based itself on
0: ben one of the things that I, i've always seen as being the hallmark of what you do is you know we have seen some very big startups we've seen some grow you know start small but then grow quite quickly you've always taken uh you know to an outsider a slowly slowly approach and there's always been sustainable growth there's never been explosive growth you've uh, Sort of, have uh, have sort of been expanding at, at a regular rate but it's it's you, you're, you're still a, a regional brewery that maintains very strong roots in the community and is growing has, has that been a conscious strategy or you know what 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 has marked your um, approach to business
2: um I guess it's been maybe a little bit controlling on my behalf and and not wanting to um, to take too big a risk obviously starting a brewery it's a big risk and and some of the the beers and things we, we do probably come across as a little bit risky and doing different things and changing things quite often. Um, but yeah, our, our strategy has been just reinvesting, um, I've worked a lot in the past, I used to work every day of the week, I don't know when I opened, I probably, probably could say I did six months without a day off easily, probably longer. Um, and so we put every cent that, that came back from the brewery, brewery back into the business. So um, started on a tight budget with some, some gear that was limited and whenever we got enough money, we would perhaps invest in some better gear or expand the gear. Um, and we haven't, apart from the original loan I got from the bank to start the business, we've never really gone out to get any any funding or loan any further. So that's sort of controlled our expansion. It's been expansion through through our own revenue and um just reinvesting capital we've made back into the business. Um, Yeah, so that's probably the controlling factor is not um, expanding for the sake of expanding and and just doing things, as you said, a a little bit slower, so taking things as they come and and trying to invest any any money we've made back into the business and plan for the next... It's always about planning for the next spring-summer period. That's That's the... the busy period in beer. So through the winter, um, look at what what we can do and and invest that we're ready to go for the next the next summer and and perhaps have a plan to go out and find some new customers, um, or
0: a new region or or distribute to a new city or something like that.
2: Have Have
0: you made any mistakes along the way?
2: I oh, all the time. Uh, you know, I think we probably make mistakes every day on on certain things. Um, nothing nothing big that we regret that's been an absolute failure or anything but um, you know you change recipes or you change designs or you know implement a system that perhaps isn't doesn't work the way you thought it would um, but that's just all part of of doing what we do um, and I guess part of that doing it slowly as well you know we haven't we're not burning millions of dollars to make sure we've got the best piece of every piece of equipment you could possibly have Um and sort of adapt and, and do things as best we can and and because we, we also don't just make a couple of beers and keep pumping them out um, and we try new things all the time then
0: we're going to make mistakes. Obviously there were far fewer brewers uh, kicking around when you first started so it was a, a lot less crowded market but at the same time uh, the, the, there wasn't as big a market for, for craft beers. Do you think that you know, it's, it's possible to start up in a very limited, small-scale way that you did 10 years ago, and still have that, uh, you know, organic growth that, that you've experienced.
2: Um, yeah, definitely. And I think guys are doing it at the moment too. Um, obviously, uh, we're seeing. I, I try to think of some Victorian examples that I've seen as maybe young guys doing some some really interesting things, and with a small budget, they're probably. Um, Moondog are probably a really strong example, and uh, the guys at Seven Cent um, in Victoria, I think it's Seven Cent. Um, you know, they've they've got a really small budget. They've um, uh, they've started, I think, you know, probably with with their with their own their own capital capital um, in a small town and and done their own thing. So definitely, as long as you and it's, I mean, the wine industry is pretty comparable as well. That's a, an industry that's. That's oversupplied, but that you see really people with great product and a, and a good story and, a, and their own niche are able to start up even now in a, in a oversupplied wine market and succeed. So there will always be opportunity as long as, as, long as you, your product is, is great and your stories that, that you put with it is, is, is an authentic one and a good one, Um definitely. But I, but I would note that, you know, it was much easier than when I started um, in terms of Getting media coverage, there there was beer was a new story, so it's easy to put out a press release and and get um, you know national media to put up put it up in their in their pages um, and and get noticed. I'm sure you guys see through through beer media how many new release beers, collaborations, and and stories that might have been big news um, ten years ago aren't even are even worth publishing now. So there's there's that angle that's more difficult for new startups, and the other is um, we're seeing a real, uh, you know, perhaps when I started there was more breweries focused on beer, so I, I, I don't know how to say that properly, but, but their, their whole their whole focus and, and reason for being was I really want to make some cool beer because I think beer could be better and I'm into beer and I wasn't a home brewer but other people have come from home brewing and they know their, their products are good and they want to take that passion further and, and take their beer to the world or to Australia. Um, and sure it's a way to make money and and do things but it was starting with a really simple idea of how can I produce beer on a bigger scale and and work out a way to sell it Um, we're seeing much smarter investors come into brewing with really good business backgrounds and um, strategies of marketing and strategies of uh, distribution And, and some of them have everything so they have a strategy of how they're going to market their beer, a strategy of what their investment level needs to be a strategy of you know, route to market, um, everything along those lines, and also a real, really strong strategy of, of product that they're going to make. Some of them less so, and some of them have it all. Um, so that's that makes it really hard for the startup home brewer or the startup young person um, that that's coming with a lower base of capital and perhaps less experience in the business world. Um, so definitely, the industry is getting much more professional and and more strategic. Um, when it comes to new startups, they're, they're, you know, some pretty impressive
1: businesses starting up in the brewing industry at the moment. Ben, one of the, um, I guess interesting elements of your success, um, in my opinion, is the way that you embraced and drove, uh, interest in Bridge Road and Beechworth through social media. Um, and again, there's probably an element of, for, for, for a while, are you Uh, I guess, were an early adopter and, you know, you you had that space to yourself a little bit. Is that social media platform still an important part um, of your sales and um, and not not necessarily the sales but, I guess, of promoting your brand?
2: Um, I'd like to hope it is because I waste a lot of time on social media or my staff (laughs) will tell you that I do. Um, Yeah, it's changing quickly um, and it's becoming more cluttered. So, again, uh, you know, being in first and earlier, I think Twitter had a really... Um, big impact back in the day when when there was people were new to it and really engaged, and also they weren't following such a large number of of users. Um, so their their Twitter feed wasn't cluttered. Um, you know, I rarely read my Twitter feed because I follow so many people. Um, I'll just look at it at a point in time, and there might be something interesting.
0: Except Australian Brewers News, of course. Yeah.
2: Except, So, you know, if I see something from you guys, I might click on on your, if it interests me, I might click on your feed and see what else you've been tweeting about, um, but I don't run a specific column to, to check on your tweets. So, um, yeah, I think it is important, but I think um, visuals seem to be the way for for um, social media to make an impact. So Instagram works really well. Um, I think they've just wised up to people posting ads on Instagram, so I found I couldn't I couldn't post something for Bendigo on the hop the other day, and I think it's because it's got words in the picture, like too much text, so they they block it, um, because someone might be getting something free from them, God forbid, um, even though they people's photos for free constantly. Um, so you know, uh, Facebook photos and images seem to be the 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 thing that's that's making an impact. But yeah, it's it, it's becoming more cluttered. Um, and soon I'm going to be that old bloke that doesn't know how to use technology and the young blokes will be on some other format of, of digital media that I haven't heard of yet. So it's ever-changing and, and really hard to keep up with. I think, you know, if I had to say, why is, why is ours strong? It, I think, like our brand, it's because it's authentic. We're not paying some some cool marketing kid somewhere to, to pretend they're from the brewery just posting images and shit they think has something to do with beer it's just this is what we do and if we see something interesting i post a photo of the guys the the restaurant was full today so we had to have lunch out the back and it's freezing cold at the moment so the boys set up the the pallet table with some kegs and we just had lunch you know and it's just that's what happened here today so you know it's relevant it's authentic it's pretty interesting and we're not trying to pretend you know um, we're not posting a video of someone at the beach eating McDonald's and saying that's what McDonald's is all about or something along those lines. It's not staged, and I think that's what people value in, in social media. Um, I think the moment you have to pay someone just to be outsourced to do social media stuff is, is the moment it's not going to work for you. So Unless you can, you can do it authentically and be involved in it, there's no point trying.
0: One of the things that is coming through as a bit of an undercurrent, you talked about um, you know, breweries that have got a story, have got a chance, authenticity, and just even the authenticity of what you talked about. You, you, you have been a uh, fairly outspoken representative of um, breweries that own their venue, that are uh, placed in a location, they brew in that location, uh, you know, and, and being honest about those elements of your story. And conversely, you've uh, been a little bit critical in the past. One of our very early podcasts, um, you, you made the point that... Episode three. Episode three. Uh, breweries that sort of uh, ad- ad- adopt a name or a, or a location for their brand but then say, oh, look, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, and we don't need to be transparent because people don't care. You, you made the point, well, if they don't care, it doesn't matter if you put it on your label. Is that something that you're still strongly passionate about?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and and... I hope people don't see it as you know being a hater or, or something along those lines. But it's it's you know it's, I think there's one of the biggest elements and parts of it. I, I really would like to pre- protect my interest in my business and and the risks that I take and have taken and continue to take in in employing brewing staff and producing beer and and doing everything on it on site ourselves. You know there, there's a big step um, in getting someone to make beer and for you and 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 managing. You know, making beer yourself every day, and the staff now that that do it for me. I, I, I rarely brew these days, um, but there's so much work behind that, and I think there should be some recognition um, for the brewers that do it. Um, so, so you know, therefore their their interest needs to be protected somehow. You know, and other people shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed to to sort of, I don't know, create this weird assumption that that they're doing the same or they're in a location that they're not i 'm um, from a small town I know it's important to I think we have 25 employees now um, I think that's a that's a pretty significant thing um, and and even if it's a big town if you're not from there don't don't say that's that's where you are from so yeah I still still am happy to, to speak about it and and I'm outspoken about it and I think it's it's it, it was um, it was nice to see uh, the ACCC take some action on some of the big players who, who tried to do the same thing Um I don't see why they should not get away with it and small players should. Um, so so I still think... I, th- I think the, the, the industry will work it out. I think uh, consumers do care where their beer comes from and they'll, they'll make an effort to find out um, if the truth's being told. My problem is I don't think people should have to make an effort and, and one of the most annoying things I find here is people come to our brewery and ask, um, do you make the beer here? And we say, yes, we do. It's right behind you. That's the equipment. And they say, do you make that all here? And I say, yes, we do. We make everything here. Everything's got our label and lessons collaboration that we've bought in from overseas that we made there. Um, we definitely make it here. Um, then they'll go, when I'm not around, I'll see them go and ask a staff member hoping to catch me out, <laughs> thinking that I'm not telling the truth. So for me, it's, you know, it's, it is undermining people's confidence in the industry. And where have they got this presumption from? You know, why do they presume that a brewery wouldn't be making their own beer? You know, especially when we've said, you know, that they've obviously gained this, you know, guilty and proved innocent concept from somewhere. And it's not isolated. We see it quite often um, that that situation, you know, people second, ask you for a second time. They, you know, they don't believe that perhaps because your beer is somewhere that you made it all yourself. So they've, they've generated this perception from somewhere. And I believe it's from, you know, not being told, the,
0: the absolute truth in in the past and they've found out about things. Oh, well, of, of course. I mean, it, people are suspicious and you you raise a couple of good points there. And one of the things that I say is, you know, when you say that people shouldn't have to sort of research their purchasing decisions, I, I, you know, I agree. We, we, we're we talking about beer here. When you're going and buying a house, there's a whole lot of due diligence that you have to do to buy a house. When you're buying a car, you sort of do a you know test drive and do a whole lot of things because these are big purchasing decisions and you sort of, do a lot more research. When you're purchasing a beer, you shouldn't have to Google the claims that are made on the label um, to to ensure you're getting what you like. But we also know that people buy beer for a whole lot of reasons, um, and flavour is just one of those, but there is provenance. It's been interesting to see uh, just in the last week or two that uh, the Tuis Brewery has uh, spent a lot of money in some very slick advertising campaigns um, looking at um, the history of the brewery um, and talking about the Tui's brothers, um, you know, to, to really, you know, almost give them a provenance and a heritage that they would forgotten about for a long time, um, and talk about the Tui's brewery. Do you see those sorts of stories, which are fundamentally true, um, but, you know, they're still a little bit tenuous for a modern brewery that's been owned by a multiple of uh, corporations over the years? Um, do you still see that as a challenge to your you know, very much centred in Beechworth story? Well,
2: I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that as so much a, a big thing. I think, I don't know, and maybe it's because people are, can, you know, understand and see through that they do understand it too. This is a big, big company, and perhaps they understand straight away that, you know, okay, they're just trying to check out their heritage. So I don't, I don't know. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't seen a campaign, so I can't, can't draw a big on what it is. I don't watch that much TV, um, you know. But I, I mean, this issue. We, I mean, we're in our little craft beer bubble. It's it's an issue for all industries. I see small producers of ice cream complain about, um, you know, ice cream brands made by other companies claiming certain things that that they definitely are not. Um, I'm sure it's the same in the muesli industry and and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I guess. I, to be honest, I don't know about the, the Twiz campaign and I don't know how it would impact me. I think it's, you know, and I get, I understand that big breweries want to play small breweries sometimes and, and show that sort of thing, which is fine. Um, it just, as long as, as long as things are clear, I think a, a really easy way to fix a problem would be, um, having some labelling condition that, that, that has, I think with foods to say where that where that, um, beer was Manufactured and and you know it was it was manufactured by this company at this address and it was manufactured for this company. If it was manufactured for someone else, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think people often misread that. I think that's that's not how beer should be made. I understand that um, that's a great way to make beer. I've seen some awesome success stories and really great beers coming out of beers made that way. Even in in Australia, some that we we sometimes envious of the quality of. It's just the telling of the story and and the that misrepresentation that that you know will in the longer term undermine people's confidence in the integrity of the industry. That's that's really my thing. I think you can you can still tell a great story about how you and and your business partner fantastically into beer and you wanted to do your own thing and you used to have X job and you gave all that up to become um, to start this brewing company and you. You came up with the recipe and took it to um, to a production brewery, and this is where it's made. I think that's an authentic story. I don't don't understand why people would tell a story in another way because you've got to back it up every day. And if it, if it is a bit misleading, it, it must be uncomfortable. I just yeah, I'm not sure how to.
0: Oh no, but it, 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 of course it's not the the big brewers who are pulling out uh, craft stories. We've seen. You know, a number of breweries, uh, the smaller breweries with some, you know, wonderful, um, you know, generous, creative people who have been real bastions of the um, craft beer movement. And, you know, uh, Mountain Goat's an example and uh, also Two Birds is another great example um, where they've either started their label or in the case of Mountain Goat, have seen most of their production transferred off site. Um, and there's been a real reluctance to change the narrative um that goes with their brewery um, for the business decisions you've made. Um, you know, to, despite your personal liking of the people involved, that must be a hard thing to to, to deal with as well.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm I'm probably a bit removed from um, from everyone else at the moment too, so it's no no big issue. I mean, I hope that you know I can speak. I still speak to the guys that that maybe in meetings of past. I've, I've had some not. I don't know. We've had some conflicts of opinion in how things should be presented, but um, but we still get along really well, so it's it's not a big negative thing. But yeah, I I, I do see that as challenge. I see it more of as a you know now I, I don't I guess I don't take up that um, that fight very often anymore. Um, but I think it, I think it is something that's going to change, and I think it's something that's going to change industry wide. Um, you know, there, there's going to be um, a push from consumers um, or the from within the industry that says okay let's just work out how we're going to tackle this this as a problem I think it will be recognized as a bit of a problem you know with the, what was it the great with the Byron Bay brewery is probably the best example we know about and and more recently the the Aussie what was it called Aussie beer made in in China Aussie beer, yes, um, yes you know as we see more more things like that pop up um, we'll see people take note and I think we'll see a change within the industry but yeah I don't think I'm, I'm Uncomfortable or, or or anything with anyone in the industry, or just you know make my points known, um, and and that's about it. There's no there's no conflict, <laughs> I guess. It, no yes. no no sorry
0: sorry I wasn't suggesting that, but it must be make for some interesting as you said some industry interesting discussions around the uh, you know sort of the, the the bar room during Good Beer Week and things. Yeah yeah I guess so. Um, I don't know I probably haven't probably
2: haven't haven't harped on it too much apart from. Uh, <laughs> discussions with you, we always manage to, to get on the topic um, in private or, or, or otherwise.
1: Ben, so in this episode, we're celebrating the last 10 years of uh, Bridge Road Brewers in Beechworth uh, yeah. and your involvement with it. Putting the crystal balls on, what um, what are the next 10 years hold for both Bridge Road and for the industry as a whole? Um, uh uh, more
2: growth, did I say that at the start? So we've, we've actually just put on um, a CEO, Donald Macy's actually sitting in the same office as me, as me at the moment. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see some changes at Bridge Road, I guess, in terms of how we manage our business. Um, we, I guess there's some areas we've grown quite organically over the last 10 years. As I mentioned before, we've got 25 staff, starting with two. Um, so so there's a whole lot of uh, stuff that we, we need to, I guess, Get in, get organised in our business just to make sure business keeps running smoothly and we have capacity to, capacity to grow with the market. Um, I think I mentioned before, you know, we're seeing more, um, professionalism in the craft brewing industry from, from new starters or other businesses expanding. So that's one skill set we're trying to, to get more of in our business. So just getting more professional about how we make decisions and, and structure the business. Um, and allow ourselves to grow the, the industry will keep growing um, and we should keep growing with it um, we also mentioned before you know what advantage do we have from being in the industry for 10 years um, if we don't do anything none if we just stay the same size and don't take advantage of our long-standing um, reputation and 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 people's i guess knowledge of our brand then um, you, you know in 10 years we could see no advantage um, so we really need to make sure that we we keep our, our finger on the pulse in terms of what the market's doing, continue to find our own way, so stick to our guns and, and, you know, keep doing things how we've done them, um, be honest and, and, uh, uh, authentic in, in what we do and continue to make cool beers, so continue to make different beers and, and push the boundaries and look outside of, of Beechworth and look outside of Australia and, and look for new trends and create new trends of our own. Um, and yeah, continue continue on the path with the industry, which is going to grow.
0: Speaking of ten years, what celebrations can uh, can beer drinkers expect uh, from you to, to to mark your ten year anniversary?
2: I don't know. Um <laughs> We just released our uh, B2 Mac Five, which is uh, anniversary beer. We've been doing um, we've been doing actually brewing an anniversary beer for our anniversary since our fourth anniversary, I think. I think that was for our um, O-Caged Imperial Porter uh, and we've done a few different beers and we've uh, sort of stuck on for the last five or six years making the, the B2 series. We had a gap after the first one but we've continued on from MAC 2 to MAC 3, MAC 4 and now MAC 5. Um, so that beer is being released at the moment. It's on tap in a few places around the country um, and bottles are starting to roll out in the next week or so. Um, so that's for beer drinkers uh, to find and enjoy um, and and sort of taste. Uh, so I think we did a, a Brew 1000 to showcase what we'd learnt in 1,000 brews. Um, it wasn't that long ago, but I guess Mac 5 is just uh, you know a celebratory beer from ourselves, perhaps for ourselves, but for everyone else as well, um, sort of showcasing what we know about brewing and what we like in beer. Um, so we hope, hope that translates to people when they drink it. Uh, we had a staff party last week. Uh, up, up at Maydair Hills Mental Asylum in Beechworth. There's a restaurant there. Um, so we, we just uh, had a bit of a talk about what we've achieved in 10 years. I, I showed some some slides of my recent trip to California to make everyone else jealous um, and, in, and just enjoyed things in privacy. And then next Friday, we've actually invited uh, people, mainly locals uh, from around town and and northeast Victoria who have had a positive Influence and, and perhaps their suppliers or tradesmen, um, old blokes that helped me out at the start, um, family and friends, uh, we're having a bit of a get together at the brewery, just, uh, pour some free beer and, and, and provide some nibbles for people and just have a bit of a, a catch up, um, so that'll be, that'll be next Friday at the brewery.
0: And I should say it's not something that has anything at all to do with your 10th birthday, but, uh, People who want to try your beers and keep up to date with the, uh, the new and exciting beers that you're doing, uh, you do have the posse, um, that people can sign up to and get regular, uh, uh, deliveries from Bridge Road. Yeah,
2: thanks. Thanks for the plug. Um, yeah, we do have the, the posse. We found it, it's a re- been a really good initiative. I'm not sure when I kicked it off. I was trying to do a, a timeline of the last 10 years. Um, and I didn't make it past the first two years because it just, it all just blurs into one. Um, uh, Results of years of alcohol abuse, guys. No, <laughs> just a result of being busy all the time. The I think we started the posse maybe in two thousand and six or two thousand and seven, um, and it's quite large at the moment. I'm I'm pretty sure we'd have the the largest beer club from a from an independent brewery in Australia, from a brewery in Australia. So we send out regular regular shipments every second month or every three months, depending on the membership. Um, we've just released a beer, uh, the Winter Posse out So we brew a posse exclusive beer for winter and for summer and we just did a a dark lager with vanilla that we got from a local ice cream maker Um, so yeah it it is a really good way for people to to keep up with what we're doing and get a range of beers obviously we I think we have 22 beers on the cards at the moment, Um, I don't think there are many if any bottle shops that have all 22 beers available so the posse is a good way to get sort of a, a a taste of most of the beers we do or at least most of the good ones we do to get an opportunity to try them.
0: Ben Krause, congratulations uh, on on all you've achieved over the last 10 years. Thank you very much for uh, 10 years of brewing for our pleasure and uh, hopefully we'll uh, see you continue for a lot longer yet.
2: Yeah and thank you. I know I probably wrote it as a private um, email yesterday but thanks to you guys um, and anyone else in in the um, beer media industry for for giving brewers a voice. over the past, I don't know how many years, but lots of years. I remember when we first met perhaps at the local tap house, Matt, many years ago. I don't know where
0: oh, it was. Oh, mate, I, 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 we, we, I, I've, been, I've actually been doing uh, beer tastings in Brisbane for 10 years. I started with Ian Watson 10 years ago, and uh, one of the first breweries that we uh, got in contact with to uh, to get some beer sent up was Bridge Road yeah. not long after it started. So uh, we, we at least have had phone contact probably for nine years, and... Uh, uh, catch
2: up every year or, 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 maybe once more than that.
0: Yeah, yeah, ho- hopefully it won't be too long before you catch up again.
2: Yeah, cool. And, um, and, and thanks obviously to anyone that's listening to the podcast that, um, that has at any point supported Bridge Road Brewers or continues to support us or will support us in the future. So, um, thanks everyone.
0: And if you don't, you should. Yeah. So good on you, Ben. Mate, thank you for joining us on Radio Brews News. Talk to you again soon. Cheers.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: Cheers, Ben. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate hands on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing, think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, Prof. Ben Krause, great guy, love his passion. And I also love just the honesty and integrity that he brings to everything that he does.
1: Ben's one of those guys that whether you're chatting to him on the phone or chatting to him on Skype or whatever it might be, it, you, you always feel like you've just got one arm on a bar, on the bar and, and the other hand, you've got a beer. It's just that kind of conversation. There's never anything, no matter how heavy the topic, it's just always. he's just a very uh, well-spoken and very likeable kind of bloke. And good luck to them. To so all the crew up there, all 25, for the next 10 years. Isn't it
0: great to hear a brewery that started with one guy in his dad's garage with a small bank loan is employing 25 people. Um, yeah, and yeah. he he's a real centre of the hub, you know, centre and hub in uh, Beechworth. Makes you know, really active um, in in the whole local uh, committee. Done a lot for the tourism um, there. You know, really, one of the great success stories of when people talk about um, local craft being a big part of the industry and developing local economies, Ben could be the poster boy. He's also the fittest bloke in craft beer too. Very much so. Prof, um, now, mate, exciting development this week. If any of our regular listeners, we have been getting, we we might actually just touch a little bit on um, some of the feedback that we've got um, from... We need a new segment,
1: with, um, so if Lockie can tee up some, uh, find some, some new music, we need a little like um, Bruce News mailbag. So many cards and letters and feedback and emails, which is great.
0: We are, so uh, now the first one that I've got, uh, Paul Pacey, who used to um, send us a, a little bit of uh, feedback earlier on, and he opens up with, uh, I just want to say thanks to you and Prof and the new producer, good on you Lockie, uh, for the Frequent Podcast, it's great to have these regularly, finally. Uh, keep them coming. The interviews and discussions are very interesting to a beer geek and home brewer like myself. I've been holding off sending an email like this as I don't want to jinx it. But you guys finally seem to be on a roll. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Paul. Um, yes, uh, I hope we are on a bit of a roll and uh, hopefully we can keep it going. But no, thank you very much for listening. We might even look at uh, being a little bit more prepared next time and just sort of talk about some of the other comments that we've got. Because we do get some great uh, discussion on the comments boards and on Facebook Um and yeah, flag some of those so we can talk about them. But also, listeners, a new innovation, because we are trying to uh, constantly innovate, um, because it is all about innovation and moving forward. If you want to give us a call, uh, you can call in on our uh, Skype line. And if, if we're not here to take the call, you can leave a message and we can uh, play that back uh, on, on our next show. So the number for that is 0730401508. That number again, 07-3040-1508. Call, you'll hear my dulcet tones and you'll leave a message um, that will be recorded. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think. If, if we need an uppercut, uh, give, you know, well, it's, Pete never says anything that would be uh, uppercut worthy, do you, Pete?
1: No, never, never, ever.
0: You're, you're the good cop on the uh, soapbox hogger. So uh, yeah, no, if, if, if you want to sort of take issue with anything I've said, uh, please give us a call and uh, yeah, you'll get to hear your own voice on the next podcast, uh, but Listeners, as always, thank you very much for your support. Uh, the, the numbers are growing as we're regular, so I see other benefit. If you do like what we're doing, jump on your favourite podcast directory. Uh, iTunes seems to be one of the big ones. Um, and you know, leave a rating and leave a comment. Um, let people know what you like about the show. So help other people. Uh, find out about us uh, through that. The the more comments, and the higher the rating, the higher we've bumped up and we we might even become a featured podcast one day. And that's one way you can help us uh, to uh, to sort of keep uh, doing what we're doing and uh, make it worthwhile. So uh, otherwise, in the meantime, www.brewsnews.com.au if you have found us through the podcast, subscribe there. You'll get all of the latest beer news and views. Otherwise, Pete, you are Beer Blokes on Twitter? Yep. And on Instagram, Beer and i'm good beer matt and my life is an open book you can see everything of mine on uh, <laughs> uh, facebook because you know i don't post anything that's not about beer so uh yeah jump on there or good beer matt um likewise so listeners thank you very much for joining us uh once again thank you for uh keeping up your end of the bargain by listening we're keeping up our end of the bargain by producing and we'll chat to you again next week in the meantime lucky strike up the band
1: the barrel, we'll have a barrel of fun, roll out the barrel, we got the blues on the run, sing boom terrera, sing out a
0: song of the cheer, now's the time to roll the barrel for the game's all here. And we're out.